Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Friday, the 23rd of June, with me, Lucia Chachulovic. With many central banks reporting their latest decisions this week, notably the Bank of England, which surprised markets with a larger-than-expected rate hike, we are joined today by David Meyer, Senior Economist, and Tim Gage, Head of FX and PM Solutions in Geneva, to fill us in on what was decided and how markets reacted. But first, I am pleased to welcome Mike Rabo for a regular review of what's been moving markets since yesterday's show. So let's get started. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lucia. So the theme of Monday's podcast was a quiet start to a busy week. Indeed, it has been a busy week with central bankers increasingly concerned that inflation remains undefeated, locking them into a new phase of monetary tightening in economies already shaken by a year or more of interest rate hikes. Indeed, uh, that is absolutely correct, uh, Lucia. Uh, this week's official start of the summer in the Northern Hemisphere coincided with a UK report showing stubbornly high inflation and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's warning that up to two more interest rate increases may be needed. And so yesterday, the Bank of England and its Norwegian counterpart each accelerated their monetary tightening, and even the Swiss officials, after raising rates, noted that they're not ready to call this time on monetary action either. So uh, what we can say is what was thought to be a quiet summer for central banks is turning out to be a newly concerted state of alert over price rises. And it leaves the economic outlook under a cloud with little offer of relief from escalating borrowing costs in the coming months. Although uh, I must say U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said yesterday that the odds of a U.S. recession have eased as the labor market remains strong. But she also highlighted that slowing consumer spending will be the price to pay for containing inflation. All right. And as you would expect, bond yields have moved up on these central bank actions. And the German yield curve is the most inverted since 1992. But I see that U.S. tech stocks continued to do well yesterday. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, indeed. Uh, the story in U.S. markets was one we've seen much of these years. Beneficiaries of AI, so artificial intelligence stocks, rallied after Amazon said that it will spend $100 million helping cloud, cloud its cloud clients with AI. The Nasdaq ended up the day, ended the day up 1.2%, but the majority of stocks in the S&P 500 fell and small cap stocks dropped 1%. But there seems to be not much nervousness in the market as the VIX index, which measures fear in the market, fell to a post-pandemic low and is now below 13 points. But let's see if the US large cap indices can indeed hold up and whether volatility will stay low. This morning, I see a sea of red in Asian equities and also futures in Europe are showing a lower open. So the long-awaited correction may be at hand. And on that topic, our own Nicholas Jordan from the CIO office commented on this podcast yesterday. So check it out if you want to know on our current view. Thanks, Mike. Now, in commodities, I see that Brent oil is down 1% this morning after dropping already almost 4% yesterday. What's the story there? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, Brent oil is below $74 a barrel, despite reports showing falling inventories and declining production in the U.S. But it looks like traders are focused on the prospects of additional rate hikes and whether they will put too much pressure on the economy 
and lead to lower demand for oil. So it, it seems the oil market is telling central banks to be quite careful at this point. All right. And in currencies, the Japanese yen is weak again this morning at its lowest level ever against the Swiss franc. Can you tell us more about that, please? Yes, uh, indeed. Inflation figures in Japan out this morning came in slightly above a consensus, with prices excluding fresh food rising 3.2% in May after climbing 3.4% the previous months. But the numbers were not seen as enough for the Bank of Japan joining the monetary tightening crowd just yet. And so with all this weakness in the Japanese yen that you just mentioned, traders are now on the lookout whether the government will intervene to prop up the currency, much as it did last year. Although back then, these were only short-term gains for the yen. Okay, and finally, Mike, what can we expect in terms of economic data today? Yeah, the focus really today is on a host of developed market countries, uh, which will release surveys of purchasing managers at manufacturing and services companies for the months of June. The key to watch there will be whether the divergent trend of weak manufacturing and strong services survey, which we've seen in previous months, continues or not. Now, just taking the example of Japan, the figures they are out there already, and we see that uh, manufacturing data continued, uh, showing uh, weakness while uh, the services figures were are pointing towards expansion. So that's all for me, and back to you, Lucia. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mike, for the roundup. And now, good morning, David. Great to have you on the show this morning. As we've already mentioned, the Bank of England surprised markets yesterday by raising interest rates by 50 basis points, which is more than the consensus expected. What was the motivation behind this larger move? Uh, good morning, Lucia. Thanks for having me here. Well, so this larger-than-expected hike was clearly a response um, not only to Wednesday's inflation shock, you know, that showed the uh, core inflation rising to 7.1% year-on-year, but also a response to the strong wage growth we are seeing in the UK, uh, you know, with this combination making the UK probably the developed market economy most at risk of experiencing a wage price spiral. So the BOE had to react in order to break uh, the price dynamics and control inflation expectations. I mean, we actually had revised our rate forecast up to the 50 basis points hike on Wednesday, and now we expect at least a further 25 basis point hike in July. But we think that uh, markets might have priced in too many hikes. I mean, uh, currently implying rate hikes up to 6% until end of this year, because this would topple or probably topple the UK into a recession, uh, you know, given the backdrop of stagnating growth. I mean, UK inflation will most likely recede in the second half of this year, um, but at a slower pace than previously expected. So our inflation forecast for the UK rises to to an average of 7.2% for this year and 2.7% for 2024. So inflation will still be above target, probably in large parts of next year. And finally, uh, I also see a um, political consequence from the current situation. I mean, as you know, Prime Minister Sunak had promised to half inflation this year. And this looks uh, increasingly or um, nearly impossible now. And the next year, 2024, uh, which is an election year, voters will be suffering also uh, from 
higher mortgage rates. So kind of the economy makes it increasingly hard for Sonak and the Tories to win back approval and catch up to the opposition Labour Party that, uh, you know, as of now, uh, probably would win the election. Okay, interesting. And what do the rising rates in the UK mean for the British pound then? Yeah, so the, I mean, the pound remains supported by rising rates in the UK, uh, which in, in improve improves rate differentials in its favor. However, we think that uh, further appreciation has its clear limits from here. I mean, first, as I said before, we, we believe that markets have priced in probably too many hikes and the uh, uh, potential pricing out is a headwind for the pound later this year. Second, I mean, high inflation weakens a currency, right? And third, uh, pound sentiment could be souring a bit, you know, because uh, markets question um, whether the Bank of England really can uh, control inflation currently. Currently, So, in fact, the, uh, I mean, the pound did not benefit that much from this larger-than-expected hike because markets appeared uh, rather disappointed that the Bank of England left its guidance unchanged and did not step up its hawkishness by an arch. Uh, and fourth, maybe maybe another reason, uh, high rates also mean larger growth risks going forward. And with the UK already stagnating, many more hikes could push it into recession. So we stick to our three-month target of uh, the euro pound at 0.85. And we believe that uh, our rates will cause the pound to drift up a bit from here. But the headwinds mentioned before are balancing uh, this tailwind from 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 interest rates. Okay, now moving away from the UK, we also had the Norwegian central bank surprising with 50 basis points. Could you briefly tell us what that means for the Norwegian krona, which has been the worst performing G10 currency so far this year? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the Norwegian bank was kind of behind the curve, uh, you know, as inflation had risen to 6.7% in May and their policy response you know, with hikes up to 3.25% before yesterday was was looking like a lot too hesitant. So with this uh, 50 basis points move uh, to 3.75% um, and their uh, projection indicating two further 25 basis point hikes still to come, they're not only reacting to uh, rising inflation, but they're also trying to stabilize the corona further as um, its weak levels had also been contributing to higher inflation. So, you know, the Norges Bank uh, being behind the curve was a major factor causing the corona weakness that we had seen in the first half or in the first months of this year. I mean, it was the worst performing G10 currency year to date. And in anticipation of some reaction by the Norges Bank, uh, and also thanks to probably some, some a better risk environment uh, recently, the corona had bottomed out prior to the meeting. And in fact, it surpassed our uh, Siemens target of Euro Corona 11.60. So we revised up this target to 11.30, as we believe that, you know, with this move, or this more decisive Norges Bank response and an environment of uh, better risk appetite, the corona can further recover uh, from its undervalued levels. And finally, David, the Swiss National Bank also raised rates yesterday by 25 basis points. It also made a rather hawkish statement. 
What do we make out of that also in terms of our view on the Swiss franc? Yeah, so going into the meeting, uh, the SMB had less uh, pressure to hike rates uh, after inflation had dropped to 2.2% in Switzerland. And, you know, this hawkish message on midterm inflation pressure is a bit confusing because uh, the SMB did not revise its inflation projections up by a lot, right? So currently from here, we don't expect uh, that more rate hikes will come. And for the franc, this means that its rate disadvantage will prevail and maybe even increase going forward. So in fact, uh, rates acting as a headwind for the franc. However, we still believe in a robust franc, and this is due to two reasons. I mean, first, the SMB seems determined to reduce its foreign exchange reserves that it accumulated during the FX intervention period, and this is a tailwind for the franc. And second, and this is important for later this year, um, you know, as the lag in transmission of rate hikes uh, will cause growth to slow in the U.S., in the Eurozone, in other economies towards the end of this year and going into 2024, uh, here the franc uh, could benefit from its safe haven characteristics. So we stick to our Euro Swiss franc forecast of 0.97 flat for the time being. Great. Thank you for your insights today, David. And last but not least, over to you, Tim. Thanks for coming on to the show today. So as we heard from David, we had the Bank of England this week and the 50 basis points hike. What was the short-term reaction in FX? Well, it was a bit disappointing, actually. Good morning, Lucia, by the way, sorry. Funnily enough, we were expecting uh, all week for yesterday to be a buy-the-rumor, sell-the-fact move in the pound. But that was rather more in the context of a 25 basis point hike. However, with the more unexpected 50 basis point hike, we had exactly the same non-event move we were expecting, with a little bounce above 128, followed by a pullback to 127 today. I think much more interesting is the euro sterling cross. It was 86 before the hike and is precisely 86 this morning. If this cross is not moving, then it means any moves are dollar moves. I would still, however, for now be a buyer of pounds on dips against the dollar and for what it's worth against the Swiss franc, although I would be a bit more cautious against the euro. And another central bank we did not have the chance to mention yet is the Central Bank of Turkey. What happened with them yesterday? Yeah, this one was a bit more interesting. The market was pricing in a massive hike of 11.5%, which would have taken the base rate to 20%. And some forecasters were even seeing it going as high as 25%. This was on the back of Erdogan putting in place a new central bank governor and giving the distinct impression that the CBT was going to regain some of its independence. Instead, the CBT hike rates by a mere 6.5%, up to 15%. For most countries, this would just be enormous, but with inflation in Turkey running at above 70% and potentially higher, depending on who you ask, this was simply not enough. It was hugely disappointing for the market, and as a result, the lira has weakened by 8.5% in two days, from already ridiculously low levels. It's worth taking a step back and remembering that the lira has halved in value since January 2021, and is now worth about one-tenth of what it was worth back in 2014, only nine years ago. No matter how high the yields are, this is not a risk worth taking because the losses here really are open-ended. Meanwhile, the Brazilian real continues to strengthen. What is the reason behind that? The Brazilian base rate is at 13.75%, meaning you earn a staggering 8.5% additional yield over the US dollar. At some point, 
the Banco Central do Brasil, and I apologize for the pronunciation, will have to cut rates. But if you want to see what an independent central bank looks like, listen to Brazilian President Lula and his finance minister Haddad moaning about a lack of rate cuts earlier this week. Clearly, the BCB, in the words of Margaret Thatcher, are not yet for turning, at least until they are ready to turn. They know Lula wants rate cuts. All populist leaders want rate cuts because it means more money to shake down from the magical never-ending money tree. But the BCB are also smart enough to know what happens to investor confidence in an emerging market if the interest rate is not well in advance of the inflation rate, which is running at around 9.5-10%, I believe. Central bank independence is critical everywhere, but especially in emerging markets where confidence can be more shaky. So for this reason, even from these levels, I would rather be long real than anything else. I definitely would not short it with such a high cost that you'd have to pay. All right. And finally, Tim, precious metals are under real pressure this week. What do you make out of the latest moves there? As central banks everywhere raise rates, the fixed zero yield of metals becomes more and more complex to swallow. It's one thing holding gold when rates in the US are zero and even negative in Europe, but now the yield loss in gold is at least 3% wherever you look, and against the pound and the dollar, it's probably above 5% now. Imagine a Brazilian investor holding gold. That's costing over 13% a year, and that is a lot of capital appreciation to recover. For me, above 2,000 was a great level to reduce exposure to gold. I know that's not very helpful now, but I did mention it at the time. I would never be short metals, but now I think I would be still quite careful buying gold too aggressively yet. I think we can see a test of 1900, and the even more glaring weakness in silver and my favorite platinum suggests that the whole metals complex is under some very real pressure. I would exercise some caution. Maybe look at a small size accumulator, a bullish TARF, and for those holding gold, perhaps a pivot TARF could be a nice way to try to take a few gains um, or potentially add lower down, depending. The range you get there is still pretty wide, but again, I'd tread pretty carefully and I definitely uh, would not be too aggressively buying into this latest dip. So thank you very much, Lucia, for the talk. Thank you, everyone, for listening and I wish you a happy Friday and an excellent weekend. Thank you for the update, Tim. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please join us again on Monday when Helen Freer will be back to guide you through the latest market news with our experts. But until then, good luck today, have a nice weekend and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.